Happy New Year. Thank you for how you've handled the differing situations today of trying to find a new seat and becoming aware of a new hemisphere and new temperate zone in our sanctuary. Feel bad for those, not to point out the Maxwells that have to stare at my nose the entire time. Apologize, it's, it's hard to miss. I hope that you see this in a small way as a sign of care. We, we actually do want you here. And we do, we do want to know what's going on in your life. It's hard to do. It's hard to do when the church grows from 20 to 40 to 80 to 100 to 150 to 200 and plus. It's hard to track everybody down and make sure they're doing all right. This is a small way. It's a small way. Um, and it hopefully it's the first step in in a long line of steps of just making sure that we are trying to connect and let you know we love you, we're thankful for you, and we want to be a part of your life and hope you want to be a part of this church as well. Turn with me, if you would, to Exodus 18. Exodus 18, many of you are aware, well aware of the situation with Damar Hamlin. You may not have known that name prior to this week, but who, in a seemingly insignificant tackle in a football game, his heart stopped. And on Monday night football, the guy collapses, and they have to revive him, I think, twice on the field. Praise the Lord, he's on the road to recovery. But it's been amazing to see in our culture how one man collapsing can, in a moment's notice, make it seem okay to believe in God. In a moment's notice, to be able to see people on national TV, on cable news, stop in the middle and pray. Like that. I mean, you probably didn't know his name. I certainly didn't. He wasn't on my fantasy team. But you, you, you think, moving forward, how, how can one person be used in that way? Just, it's almost like there's this amazing God orchestrating and can use one person, even in a bad situation to bring himself glory and to make himself known among the nations. People are, have turned to God in prayer. There's a sense of when you're watching this, if you saw it, that what do we do? It's horrible. And you realize you can't help. So watching former NFL players speaking about it, and they're crying. They, they don't even know this guy. But they, that could have been me. And I can't help him. We're not sure if he's going to make it. And so many turn to God. Friend, ha have you ever turned to God? If you have, and, and you would claim, by God's grace, I'm a Christian. I own Jesus as my Lord and Savior. What led you to realize you were in need? There might not have been a situation like this. But there might have been something startling. Some of you here, just sharing your testimony with me, I've heard over the years of a situation that happened in your family that all of a sudden you realized, I need help. I need a Savior. What led you to put your trust in Him? Today we will see something dramatic shift in someone's life and someone coming to know the Lord. Today we'll see relationships rekindled, two family members discussing a great God. We're also going to see how different we are as created beings from our Creator, through one simple phrase, 
in our text in Exodus 18. Like many of our messages in Exodus 18, I, I don't have a PowerPoint behind us. It, it's more story. We're going more going through story than rather just set points. So I'm not trying to ignore the advantages of PowerPoint. I know for some it's real helpful when you're taking notes. But when you're just getting into the story, sometimes it's better to just tell it and uh, instead of making it into an outline. First, we see a relationship we're going to look at Exodus 18.1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and Israel, his father, Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Think back to the ten plagues. Moses had left his father-in-law in Midian some 250 miles away as a crow flies. And God's doing amazing things. God's leading his people out on dry ground through the desert through the Shekinah glory, back at the homestead where Moses had been the last 40 years, Jethro and his daughters are still trying to fight off the other people at the well to feed their sheep and get them water. So last we heard of Jethro back in 2.16. So we hear in 2.16 that he's a shepherd. Moses sits down with them in in 4.18, and he says, hey, I'm going to go back and see my family. I'm going to see and make sure that they're alive. All right, have a good trip. See you in a couple months. Off he goes. So imagine the surprise on Jethro's face when he and his daughters are at the well and somebody's reading in the Midian, the Midian Gazette about all the Lord's doing in Egypt. Then in the third page, on the fourth paragraph, he reads, and, and Moses is a leader. Moses? Our Moses? So they're hearing this news across the land. This is before children and teens, the tickety-tock. I know I said it wrong, and I said it wrong on purpose because it sounds funny. That's before Snapchat. That's before Facebook Live. It's before the newscaster could come out and say breaking news. So news is traveling. And it gets to Midian. They're hearing all that the Lord has done. And that takes you back to Exodus 9.16. Listen to what, what it says in Exodus 9.16. Moses is speaking to Pharaoh on behalf of God, and God says to Pharaoh through Moses, but for this purpose I have raised you up. Why? To show my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Now, I don't know how much further it went at this point in time. It seems like it went further because Midian is not all the earth. But it was spreading. God's fame, God's power, he's not like the others. He's not just wood and metal and stone. He's he's active. He's real. So what does Jethro do when he hears this news? Look at verse number two. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he'd sent her home. Along with her two sons, the one was named Gershom, for he said, I've been a sojourner in a foreign land. Verse 4, and the name of the other, Eliezer. For he said, the God of my father was my help, delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he encamped at the mountain of God. When he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law, Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with him. Jethro hears the news. He's like, I, I, we got we to gotta hear this straight from the horse's mouth. This can't all be true, can it? Also, we hear his wife, Moses' wife, coming, Zipporah. Last we heard of her is in 426. If you recall, 
you were here back when we were discussing Exodus chapter 4, an extremely awkward moment for all of us. We were discussing the circumcision of a child and, and then what happened. And we, we don't know if it's after that moment, if Zipporah's like, all right, that's it. Okay, we're, we're, the kids aren't doing this a little bit longer. We're, we're going to head back. You come back when this is all said and done. Or if Moses just said, hey, why don't you head on back? This could get ugly. Or if they went to Egypt. They were, they were on their way there, and then during the, once the plague started, if Moses thought, you know what, I better get the family out of here, or else Pharaoh could turn on them. We, we don't know what the situation was. We don't know for sure. But now in verse 17, we see Jethro, Zippor, and the family finally make it to the camp. Verse 7, Moses went out to meet his father-in-law, bowed down, and kissed him. And they asked each other their welfare and went into the tent, and Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, for Israel's sake. All the hardship that had come upon them in the way, how the Lord had delivered them. Relationships are rekindled. Some of you felt like this in the last couple of weeks where you met with family and friends. And some of you that you hadn't talked to each other or seen each other in months, maybe a year. You're able to rekindle relationships. And what seems in short order, Moses spills the beans. Let me just, hey, let me tell you all that's happened here in the last little bit, it's been amazing. He gives Jethro a first-person perspective of all that's taken place in Egypt. As verse 8 notes, Moses tells Jethro all that the Lord has done, how he delivered them from the, the hand of Pharaoh, from the Egyptians. And the word delivered is a key moment here in this text. In fact, it's used five times. The word deliver or delivered is used five times in verses 4 through 10. But after hearing the news from Moses personally, Jethro is overwhelmed. Look at verse 9. Jethro rejoiced. For all the good the Lord had done to Israel, and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Verse 10, Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord, who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know. That the Lord is greater than all gods. Because in this affair, they, speaking of the foreign gods in Egypt, have dealt arrogantly with the people. Jethro is no stranger to believing in God. We see back at verse number 1 of chapter 18, he was the priest of Midian. Now, whom he worshipped, we do not know. Midian at that time, or at least later on, does not seem to be a believer in Jehovah God. Then it seems like there's this change. That phrase right now I know. He's not just wood and metal and stone. He's not figments of our imagination of what might be in the heavens. He's real. He's alive. He interacts with his own. He's heard the works of the Lord, but now he believes verse 11. Now I know the Lord is greater than all the gods. Isaiah writes in this in Isaiah 45, I am God and there is none else. There is no God beside me. Remember when we went through our study in Isaiah, we talked about the Hebrew word for idols were, were, were a nothing. They're just nothings. It's a nothing. But God is God and there is no other. This takes us back to Exodus 12, 12, where God promised that on all the gods of Egypt, I will execute judgments. I am the Lord. The truth just hit Jethro right between the eyes. He's real. 
he's God. Will he be my God? Come on. The water is warm. Come on. He'll wrap you up like a warm blanket. Come to him, all you that are weary and heavy laden. He will give you rest. Speaking on Jethro's belief, one commentator said in verse 1 through 12, Jethro hears the truth about the Lord. The God of Israel delights in what he hears, praises the Lord personally for his saving acts, affirms the truth of the one and only God, revealed in and confirmed by what he has done, and brings his own offerings. We would say that Jethro came to faith, that he was converted. And the response of the Israelite leadership shows that Jethro was officially affirmed in his faith that he had professed. They allowed him, let's come worship. Let's come worship the Lord together. Jethro, Jethro believed. He saw what the Lord had done, and he believed. Friends, have you, have you ever personally put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ? Next we see Jethro worship with Moses. Verse 12, Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering, sacrifice to God. Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. How awesome. Some of you witnessed this. When physical family becomes spiritual family, it's, it's different, isn't it? When people that are your own flesh, blood, and kin profess the same Lord and they come to know Christ as their Savior and just like all of a sudden our relationship goes deeper than we could have ever imagined. My cousin Tim, uh, it's a tragic story growing up. His daddy left his family when he was three and mama died when he was six. He was raised by my grandma and then when he was 17, 18, he moved in with my folks. And every time that there was a friendly verbal spar between my dad and him, which happened often because they were very adamant about their points of view, typically, again, meaningless stuff, but my mom would always side with him, and, and my dad would repeat this phrase over and over again, blood is thicker than water, and it's true. When my wife and I moved to Guam, and we were away from our family for for years. I mean, we were out in the middle of the nowhere. Guam, if you don't know, Guam's 1,500 miles south of Japan. It's 1,500 miles east of the Philippines. It's 1,500 miles north of Australia. It's 1,500 miles from anywhere. Eight miles long at, at widest, widest 28 miles long, and it's longest. You, you're on the island. You're stuck. You're there. There's no like, hey, let's go to Target. Target's 1,500 miles away. <laughs> so you're there. And we realize this phrase, blood is thicker than water, but the spirit is thicker than the blood. There was a unity in our new marriage, this newlyweds that we found in the family of God. And we were deeper in our relationship with some of those people than even some of our own kin. It's not because we hated our own kin or didn't like them. It was just we were doing life together for Jesus. And there was a bond that you just, you can't, you can't put a tag on that or a price tag on it. What a blessing to see family come to know the Savior. But here the story changes. Some of you that had family in or went to see family, you had to deal with work schedules, and we're going to celebrate this night because Junior's working over here, and Dad's got to go in at this time. And we, we see this. Well, even with family in town, Moses still has to go to work. Look at verse 13. The next day Moses sat to judge the people. The people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw what he was doing for the people, he said, what, what is this you're doing for the people? 
Why do you sit alone? And all the people stand around you from morning till evening. And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people came to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another, and I make them know the statutes of God and his laws. Moses' father-in-law said to him, what, what you're doing is not good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're, you're not able to do it alone. So what's going on here? Mo- Moses is going to kind of sit at this judgment seat and going to try to deal with people's issues, and people are kind of lining up like you would see at an opening for a Chick-fil-A, which, we'll, Lord willing, we'll see here soon, praise God. Right? There's going to be this long line of people waiting for fried chicken. And here they're waiting to hear from the Lord. Got this long line, and Moses trying to make decisions. You know, okay, give me 15 feet of space. Let me talk to this family. Let's deal with this. Deal with this situation over here. And clock's in at 8. One, two, three, four, five, six p.m. The sun starts going down, and he can finally call it a day. He gets into the tent, and before then, run around trying. She's making, she's getting ready to serve food. Her her dad's there, and he Moses is there, and Jethro's sitting there shaking his head. Moses, what are you doing? Me? Yeah, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's still on me. Hopefully it'll be a distraction on the team, whatever just fell on me. There it is, dead fly. Go get my phone. So Moses in here, what on earth are you doing? And, and I don't know, ladies, I cannot speak for you. I can speak at least for the men. When Moses gives him this phrase at the very end, it, it's, it's a kill shot to any man, let alone to a son-in-law. You are not able to do it Now, if you don't understand how that's a kill shot, go tell any teenage boy, you are not able to do it alone. Yes, I am. Right? They'd rather kill themselves than admit they need help. You're not able to do it alone. In our pride, at least for men, again, ladies, you may not fall in this trap. If you don't, God bless you. Praise the Lord. In our pride, we think we're Batman, when in reality, we're Alfred. We're the butler. I can bring you coffee and tea. That's about it. I'm not a hero. I can't do it alone. Now, before I move on, I think it's going to be helpful for us to take a step back because we see in Exodus, in this chapter, we see God is great. He's the great deliverer, the big D deliverer. He delivers, he delivers, he delivers. Now, perhaps you can recall in your memory how much the Israelites played into that deliverance. What efforts did they give towards their deliverance? Do you remember? In fact, if you went back to 1414, Moses tell them your path to victory is that you would remain silent and watch God work. Your path to victory, keep your yap shut and your eyes open. That's it. We don't need you to do anything. In fact, it's better if you sit this one out. 
Why is this necessary to recall? Well, God is God. He is the big C creator. We are the created, and even though we are made in his image, we are not him. So when we read in Psalm 121 that he who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Any of you need sleep yesterday? Need to take a break? Your body is telling you, can't do it. Got to go to bed. Psalm 50, 12. God says that if he were hungry, guess who he wouldn't tell? You or me. I wouldn't, I wouldn't even, first off, it's not, it's an impossibility. I'm not hungry. But even if I was hungry, if I did have a need, you're not who I'm coming to. What could you do for him? Nothing. I own everything, he says in Psalm 50, 12. It's all mine. So if I needed something, I would just take it. But I don't need anything because I am God. I am the big C creator. You are the little tiny C created. You are the creature. God can do it all. He has no need. And Israel has been delivered by the one who can do anything but needs nothing. He can do anything and he needs nothing. And now the people are going to their leader, Moses, who cannot do anything and has great need. He's weak. He gets tired. He needs sleep. He's fallen. He's riddled with sin. He struggles with anger. He's a man. human. Christian, it's good and helpful for you to remember that those that you look to for spiritual leadership, we are broken, fallen, needy people. I can get worn out, tired. I can grow weary in well-doing. I can make the worst decision of my life in the next 12 hours. All of this is a possibility because I'm broken humanity. I'm frail. Praise God, as I mentioned in December, you know, if you won't go back in October, November, I talked about even just my own health and things weren't, weren't going so well and put it in our, our prayer request and appreciate all those praying for me, but um, you realize you can't do it. You and I both got 24 hours in a day. We got seven days a week, and we're trying to do the best we can with it. And a lot of times we realize we didn't do as good as we should have. And we need help to get anything accomplished. And so when I read this in Exodus 18, I feel like Jethro's advice to Moses is an Italian-tailored suit for me. I cannot do it alone. I can't, Ethan can't, the deacons can't, newsflash, you can't. You cannot do it alone. Praise God for a body of believers so we can do it together. Friend, 
if you've been watching online, if you've been watching online since the pandemic started, you haven't come, let me just inform you, I'm glad you're watching. That's not church. You can't serve one another. You can't be hospital one to another. You can't encourage one another when you're looking at the computer screen. If you, I hope it's a help to you if you got a sick mama at home and you're there and you, you get plugged in. you got to be here. Because you can't do it alone. Going through the worst in your life, you can't do it alone. If you find yourself like Job, you can't do it alone. You're at the mountaintop, you can't do it alone. Because there's another hill to climb. We are limited. As a pastor's kid, you know, watch my dad drive himself due to pressure, trying to do it all. So you'd think I'd learn that by seeing somebody else struggle and fail to be like i'll never make that same mistake but unfortunately pride is a trophy in my closet that shines brighter than most and i wake up every morning and it's the sense of i can do it alone i got this are you like that do you feel that too Jethro says, Moses, what are you doing? You, reality check, you cannot do it alone. Moses, you're going to kill yourself. Stop it. So what advice does he give? Look at verse number 19. Now obey my voice. Every son-in-law likes to hear that from their father-in-law. Obey my voice. Okay. I'll give you advice. And... Now our mutual God, Jehovah, he will be with you. You shall represent the people. So I'm not asking you to get rid of your job. I'm not asking you to be derelict in your duties. You shall represent the people for God and bring their cases to God. You shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way what the way they must walk and what they must do. We, so this is what he's been doing. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy who hate a bribe place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands hundreds fifties and tens let them judge the people at all times every great matter they shall bring to you but any small matter they shall decide themselves so it'll be easier for you and they will bear the burden with you if you do this god will direct you you will be able to endure and all this people will go to their place in shalom and peace Moses, you need help. So get some help. Well, what kind of help? He says in verse 21, look for what? Able men. Now, some of you may critically be wondering, what is an able man? You know, we're still trying to find, especially nowadays, how do you even find that? What qualifications deem one to be able? Well, he gives you here, first and foremost, what's the first and foremost qualification? They must fear God. Things are have to be set right spiritually. Not perfect. Right? We, you've heard the same stories we have thus far through the desert. Do they sound perfect? No, but we're trying to find men that do fear the Lord. Also, so there's that spiritual qualification. Then there's a moral qualification. They must be trustworthy. You have to be able to trust them. They also must hate a bribe because they're going to be judging. Find these men, put them over groups, large to small, from thousands down to tens. Now, it could be 10 in a group, 
But if you know some of the size families of Israel at this time, it seems more likely it's probably households. Because 10 could have been like, you could have 12 in one home. But you have households, it seems like, or whatever it is. So it's hard for us to imagine. Maybe for you it's hard to imagine. For me, it's easy to imagine. This is a logistical nightmare. You're talking low end. You're talking 250,000 people. Normal average, you're thinking 2.5 million, depending on how you see units and groups, depending on how you read Exodus. Split them into groups down to 10. Without Excel spreadsheets. Go for it. Then you need to find somebody who fears the Lord, and you need to find somebody who is trustworthy to be over each section. There you have to have people above those sections, and people above those sections, and people above those sections, all the way up to thousands. Deuteronomy 1 shines a little light on this as to how the process happened as Moses retells the story. I'll let you look at that later. But this is a logistical nightmare, a massive undertaking. Even on a smaller scale, so even just think for our church of 225 people, can you imagine trying to reduce our church body down to like, I don't know, nine groups? And trying to get, you know, eight to 12 family units per group. As you look around at your deacon ranks, and you're like, man, you should do this on purpose. Just even that takes time. So I just think with details. So I can turn to Pastor Ethan and say, hey, you know, everybody that said they've attended our church in the last 45 years, you need to try to figure out how to comprise this down to lists of groups of this amount. Praise the Lord. He was trying to also figure out geography and where people are at and how this would work and where the deacon lives. And Let's just come up with a list. And you have to write a letter. Then we have to get our deacons. Hey, can you hand these out to all these people? And everybody, I'm sure, the deacons would amply testify today. As soon as they sent out a letter, everybody responded right away. And so then when we ask the deacons who's going to come when we try to set up for chairs, is it easy to come up with that number? I say that jokingly and sarcastically because it's a nightmare. While we're trying to deal with, you know, people still got holidays. People still in and out of the house and going, we, I don't know, 27, maybe. If their dog comes, I don't know how to count this. It's, it's not easy. So imagine times 100 or more. You remember the beginning of the situation because pe- people are going to have to It's not just Moses. Will you listen to your father-in-law? It's not just Moses that needs buying. It's also the people. Because remember, Moses is the one sitting there from eight to whatever. But the people are also the ones standing in line just waiting. Their time's getting taken up. His time's getting taken up. They're going to have to buy him. So instead of them going straight to Moses, what are they going to have to do? They're going to have to trust the one that's over the 10, that that person can handle the need. If not, he'll make sure that it is handled. I wonder how many times that there's somebody that's like, you know, I'm skipping, I'm just jumping over. 
the tens, the fifties, the hundreds, the thousands. I understand there's straight to no Jewish names that's figured out. But there had to be buy-in, not just from Moses, but from the pastors, from the people. You know, as a pastor's kid, again, I, I, growing up in the church that we were up in, in Flint, Michigan, I knew Pastor Toman was our music pastor, but also he had in his job description, one of the things he did is he visited the people in the household. We had deacons visit people in the household too, but he made sure the larger church that I grew up in, and they tried to make sure pastors in the house by the time somebody was there. But there were some that believed if my dad did not show up, that they never got a visit from the pastor. Because there's not pastors, there's a pastor. That's it. It's a plural. I mean, it's not plural, it's singular. It's not pastors. We don't recognize anybody else other than a pastor. Which hopefully, our study in 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus has dissuaded you of that belief. If it hasn't, just keep reading them. Keep reading them. You'll get there. But there's a sense of, you know, there's got to be one person to do it all. Now, now, when my dad first started off at Trinity Baptist in Flint, there were 14 members. 14. That's less than come to my small group on Wednesday night in our home. There were 14. When he left, there were over 500. So getting everybody over to your home and being hospitable would have been easy with this 14. But once you get 50, 100, 150, 200, 250, 300, 400, 500, it's like going like, well, where are you going to spend your time? How do you make those decisions? Who do you visit? In Acts, the apostles ran into something similar. You had the Hellenistic widows and widowers, and they were trying to figure out, hey, nobody's visiting us like they are the, the Jewish widows and widowers. And who's, who's meeting our needs? And the apostles said, we're not going to meet your needs. Well, what a bunch of jerks. How come the apostles, like, are they too good for this? No, we're not too good for this. But we're not going to meet the Jewish widows either. What we need are other people to step up and get involved. We're going to give you a couple of qualifications to find men amongst yourself that can meet this need. And what did the apostles decide they would do instead? What would they do instead? They would give themselves to what? The study of the word and prayer. Any pastor I've ever talked to would love that to be their job description. Study the word and pray. Study the word and pray. That way when you come on Sunday, we can be saved. But there's a sense as we've grown accustomed in, in a commercialized country that everybody needs to be a one-stop shop. And everybody got to meet my needs in the same way in a different time. And it doesn't matter the toll it may take on them. My needs are primary. And Jethro was seeing, Moses, if you keep doing this, you're going to kill yourself. And then what good are you to the people? If you want them to hear from God, then you're going to have to also recognize that you need to be with him. We'll see this as time goes on. Moses is going to go into the tent, and he's going to come out, and his face is going to be glowing. He's going to have to wear this kind of wedding veil over the top of his face to not freak everybody out. You're going to need to spend time with him so that you can teach us what he says. So you had to have buy-in from Moses. You had to have buy-in from the people. And then there had to be people around them that met these qualifications. 
hey, we're, we can get down to hundreds, but we can't get to fifties and tens because we have too many people that love bribes. We have too many guys that just aren't trustworthy. Right? That could be the case. Thankfully, it wasn't. They had people of Israel fond of the idea, and thankfully they were men of character and spiritual integrity who were willing to serve. There are people that are men of integrity, moral and spiritually, but they aren't willing to serve. But there were those that were willing to serve. And so we see verse 24, Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law. He did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel, made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, hundreds, fifties, tens. And they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. Moses humbles himself and, and admitted in his action, his father-in-law was right. I cannot do it alone. I need help. The people bought in. They agreed to follow the protocols of going to the judge that was over them and not jumping in line and running to Moses. And despite their failures in the desert, there were still able men, spiritually and morally men of spiritual and moral men of integrity, who were willing to lead and willing to take part in meeting the needs of the growing body. So what do these stories mean for us today? First off, friend, like Jethro, the question for you is, is have you ever, like Jethro, has there ever been a point in time where you realize he's real? He can be my deliverer. I hope that today is that day if it's never happened. I don't know what I could say. I don't need a trick phrase to try to persuade you into it. He's, he is alive. There is a God. He does care. He does love you. How do you know that God loves you, friend? How do you know that? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And that whoever believes in him, they will not perish. They're not going to die and go to eternity and hell spent away from the Lord. They're, they will not perish, but they will have everlasting life. You and I have a problem, right? The wages, the payment for our sin is death. But it's good news, the gift of God, eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Friend, have you ever placed your faith and trust in Jesus? I hope you would. How'd you do that? You'd, you'd admit that you and I were sinners who believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and you call on his name. Whoever call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you do that today? have questions on how you can do that would you see myself see a christian friend you came with we'd love to walk you through this process speaking to speaking of loved ones here christian do do you need to be more open do you need to be more forthcoming with your family and friends about who jesus is and what he's done moses had a shot to tell his father-in-law it's real this happened some of you had that over Christmas break. Get to sit down and, and talk to your family. I mean, even just telling people from our family and friends that we got to see you over Christmas break, telling them um, of the need for Danny and Sandy and how the church has responded, and to see people that are of faith that go to different churches, that their faith was bolstered by how God has worked through you. And God has gotten the praise and glory. I don't know if you've been able to share that story too. It's been amazing. God gets the glory for that. Share his goodness. Tell others what he has done. 
by faith. Trust that God can work through you to share the good news of Jesus Christ with those around you. Third, would you join me in praising God for being the only God? Praise Him for being the true deliverer, the only sovereign. At the end of November, you know, I've spoken on Exodus 16 and 17, and then like a week or two later, we're now sharing with people the need. In Exodus 16 and 17, if you recall, in Exodus 16 and 17, they, they, they got manna and then... There's a sense where people are trying to hoard manna and they don't want to share and they're stealing from their brothers and, and, and sisters by taking from their tent maybe what they needed to. They're still looking for it on the Sabbath day and God's like, what are you doing? You're not trusting me. And in 2 Corinthians 8, Paul picks up on this and connects that to the church giving. Well, did you plan to speak in Exodus, and did you plan to be on Exodus 16 and 17 knowing what the need was going to be? Did, did you plan, you know, to speak on Exodus and to be in Exodus 18 today because you knew you're going to have some physical difficulties with your heart and all that chest, that stuff back in the fall, and now we're trying to figure this all out? Well, how did this work out? I love to write down on my resume what a brilliant mind I have and how I just made this all flow seamlessly. It's just it's a bald-faced lie. God is sovereign even over my sermon planning. I can't tell you the times, even as we walk through books, where I've had people come up and go, did you just preach that because I brought a visitor today going, <laughs> where were we last week and in this chapter? Where are we at today? Guess where we're going to be next week? The next one. He's just sovereign. He can work through flawed instruments. Praise the Lord, he can. Friend, if he can work through me, he can work through you. Because I'm just as frail and as broken and as needy as you are. I was born needing mother and father. I was born needing oxygen and milk and food. I was born needing sleep and rest. I was born wanting the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. I was born not wanting to walk in the spirit. So do you. But God can use you. God can work through you. Praise God. Praise God that he can. Last, will you be a part of the solution for our church? I'm limited. Edith's limited. We need help. The pandemic has showed that probably more than I've ever experienced in ministry. I haven't always been senior pastor, but as a youth pastor for 13 years, I've never known a time, place, and even talked to my dad with 40 plus years experience, never known a time like the pandemic for the church. Now there may have been times in 100 years gone by, many before, but at least in his experience and mine, we've never seen anything like this. Divisiveness within the church over, listen to this word, mask. Listen to this word, vaccine. And to see church people fracture over this, to see Christians lose their testimony with the unsaved, 
over a piece of cloth? You've not known anything like this. To see all your people that could serve, then told they can't serve, right? I mean, there's mandates from the government telling you you can't be here. We can only have 10 people, and then it spreads, and then it grows, and going. Then we're trying to get, when, when we can get back to people, we're not sure if they want to serve or can they serve. It's, it's been a nightmare. And it's not just the church that's felt that. Other places, workplaces have felt that too. But we need help. So when, a couple months back, when Ethan preached on a Sunday morning because we didn't have a nursery work and I went down there to work, it's, it's not like a uh, shameless plug. It's not a publicity stunt. If I'm able to hold a door for the kingdom of God, praise God that I can do this. And I love babies. That's not a labor for me to go down and hold infants. Are you kidding me? That's a sweet love. It is. If you don't like it, bring the infant my way. It's free. If you feel like that's where my time is best spent, I'll do it. I will. You feel like that's where Ethan's time is best spent, I'll make him do it. Right. It, but I, I think it's probably better if I'm spending time to prepare to feed you on a Sunday. So we are needing people to step up. Those, if you've been here years, months, and you're wondering, you're like, I still don't feel like I'm a part. Join. Crying out loud. Stop coming to Sam's and looking at all the goods and going, maybe I should get a membership card eventually and buy something here. Just come on in. The water is warm. We don't bite. Hopefully, we love. But we need help. It means we're going to have to step up. It means we're going to have some type of chain of command. And, you know, as we walk through this, we went through the pastoral epistles to help you understand that we have other shepherds here in our midst. We have able men that are qualified to do the work. And Lord willing, we're going to get them involved here soon as time goes on. But we have them here. We need more men stepping up. We need more ladies stepping up going, I can be used a little bit. I can be part of a solution. And we need something to help. So our deacons are going to make a pitch at the very end. And some of you are going to think this is so crazy that we are even saying this. We're, we're going to ask for your help just trying to get your name your information and your photo into our church app. Like, why do we need a church app, and why do we need this? Because we need a directory. You know, times I've had new people come and say, "Who, who's that? Who's that?" And going, I, I, I can't ex explain them to you. Let me show you a picture of them so you know who I'm talking about. Oh, we don't have one. Now we've asked, but we don't have one. You could serve the church by doing that. A simple thing. You know how many members since the pandemic started have come to me going, I feel like I don't know 20 to 30 percent of this church. Well, how would you know? Unless you move your seat. Hint. You would actually have to take initiative to know new people. You would. I don't know them. Who's stopping you? What invisible force is keeping you from going there? Perk up, 
smile. Spray some hand sanitizer on your sweaty palm. Go say hi and shake a hand. It's not going to kill you. But we do have more people coming, newer faces coming. And it's going to be a help if we can have a directory. If we have church new members in our new members class, can we get a directory? No. Because of before this Sunday, we had 13, 13 pictures. 13. It's not going to cut it. Well, it does seem it's a big deal. It's a very big deal because we want you to know each other. We want you to know our deacons. And we want our deacons to know you. And one of the things that helped our deacons is that I just snapped photos of, or stole photos from some of our newer members, stole their Facebook photo, and shared them with their deacons so they could know who I'm talking about when we're talking about them. This is who they are. And some of the Facebook photos were taken at our church. We gave you a place to take a picture, and you did, and you still couldn't get it into your, you put it on for the whole world to see, just not your church. Help us out. It's a small step, but we want this to be family. We want it to be family. Deacon groups are a small way. Being willing to share your information out with others is a small way. But they're crucial and vital. And helping us know you and helping you know us and helping you get to know each other. How do you fulfill the one another commands if you refuse to be with one another? The command to be hospitable to one another. It's for everybody in the church. Are you planning on having everybody into your home in the next year? No, you're not going to pull it off. But maybe you could have one a month from a new family that you don't know. Have them over. It's a great thing. Be a part of the solution. So speaking on that, we're going to take time now. So you cut the live feed, Miss Daniel.